But we're going to go into our message. In, in my home church, uh, the pastor is doing a series on God speaking to us, whether it's through visions or circumstances. And God put on my heart a message, God speaks to us through our conscience, through our conscience, okay? And so I wanted to talk about that today and relaying it into the scripture that we've read today and other scriptures as well. What is conscience? What is conscience? How many of you know that we have five physical senses? Isn't that right? We can see, we can hear, we can touch and feel, we can smell, we can taste. So we have five physical senses. Well, men and women are also humans made in the image of God. And we have spiritual senses. There's intuition, there's a sense of beauty and admiration, a sense of wonderful things. We also have this sense of conscience, this sense of conscience. How many of you know that sometimes it gets us in trouble? Anyway, so while we can be very creative and we have all these other spiritual sense, senses, affections, a sense of awe, an aura, as it were, that too is a spiritual sense. Have you ever sensed something and there was really no physical reason why you sensed it, but you, that's part of our soul understanding, part of our spiritual sense. And of course, when I was an agnostic, I disagreed with that. And I says, no, we only have five senses and everything that you're attributing to this other stuff just has to do with that. But I could not get away from the fact of this thing called conscience. What is conscience? I call it the sense of ought. The sense of ought. What ought to be. What should be. What would be fair. What would be righteous. What would be just. What would be the right thing to do. Sense of conscience. When I violate that sense of conscience, I feel something. It's called guilt. I do the wrong thing, if I knew I should have did something and I didn't do it, or I did something and I know I shouldn't have done it, I have a sense of guilt, and that can fester and become a sense of shame, as it were. I know before I was a believer, as I was sharing, alluding to a little bit, when I would go out for a walk and I would see the stars and everything that there was, and I thought of nature, how symbiotic everything is, how the animal and the plant kingdoms are so interdependent on one another. There's a symbiotic relationship there. They can't live without each other. I thought, well, there's got to be something behind all this. But the key thing was conscience. Because let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 94. I'm going to read to you a little passage here. This is one of the reasons why nobody has an excuse not to believe in God, by the way. Psalm 94 points this out, starting in verse 8. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, he knows the thoughts of man, but they are but a breath. Think about that. What is creator, the creation or the creator? 
the creation which is the effect or the one who caused all things to be. Well, of course, the creator must be greater. And so he's sort of putting this, as it were, rhetorical question to people's hearts. He who created the eye sees. He who created the ear hears. And that sense of, look at this great creation. What could be greater than the creation? It must be the creator, the creator. God, we call him in English, you know, El, El Gibor, Elohim. You know, there's a lot of Hebrew names for him. There's, there's Arabic names for him. But this sense of God, I thought, well, I see, but the one who created me must see and perceive things perfectly. I hear, but the one who created must hear all things perfectly. And one of the things that turned me from being an agnostic atheist to a believer in God, a theist, was not only because there must be a creation, but he must be moral because he gave me a conscience, a sense of ought. Have you ever felt really bad about something that was unjust? Have you saw someone that was abused wrongfully, someone that was hurt who should not have been hurt? And there's just this sense, there can be a sense of pity and sorrow for the person, but also this sense of indignation toward whoever caused that problem. That's wrong. Who gave us that sense? God gave us that sense. We were born with it. Because that's the other odd thing is not only do I have this sense of ought, this conscience, but everybody does. Everybody does. So we all have this sense of conscience. We all have what, what should be, what should be commended, what should be punished. Um, Romans chapter 2, verse 15 says this, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. In other words, Paul's talking about people who aren't believers, they're not Jews, they're Gentiles, they don't have that. He says, but they have this sense of right and wrong and that makes them accountable to the one who created them. We're not just blank slates. We do have a sense of ought, what's fair, what's right. Otherwise, we couldn't even have a government or society or anything. The whole justification is there's this sense of justice and rightness and wrongness. That's why we were able to live in a community. That's why we're able to live with ourselves. But what happens when this conscience becomes violated when I know I shouldn't do a thing, but I want to go ahead and do it. So one way, the conscience, the sense of ought. How many of you know now, I never used to have to wear these things. And now I sort of see you, but I sure couldn't read. But somewhere in my 40s and 50s, I had to begin wearing these things. First, it was reading glasses. And then it was doctor visits, and now it's prescription glasses. And maybe the next step will be to get rid of these things because I have some sort of surgery or whatever. I don't know. But my sight, I had 20-20 perfect vision as a young person. But something happened to the lenses or whatever, you know, 
these, I'm talking about our natural eye lenses, not the lenses of these things, that I wasn't able to see as clearly. Some people can get a disease where they actually become blind. The same thing can happen to our conscience and does happen to our conscience. It has to get, as it were, readjusted. So think about it like this. The first time you do something wrong, your conscience shouts to you and says, don't do it. Don't do it. And you go ahead and do it. And then when you do it again, your conscience says to you, don't do it. Don't do it. And then you do it a third time. And then your conscience says, don't do it. Don't do it. And eventually, you can't even hear your conscience telling you not to do it. Your conscience can become dull because it becomes abused by our own choices and decisions. I could be thinking a thought that I ought not to think. Maybe it was a friend in school who achieved notoriety because he did something really well and I got jealous. And so I said something nasty about him behind his back or to his other friends. Well, he thinks he's big stuff, but let me tell you, you know. And my conscience said, why did you do that? Aren't you better than that, Dave? I thought, well, I guess not. <laughs> and it becomes dull. So we can, when we violate our own conscience, it can become dull. The Bible says that eventually that conscience can become what the Bible calls seared. Seared. If you have seared skin, it's been burned so badly, you no longer, it's killed the nerve endings. It no longer has feeling to it. It's been seared, as it were. There are, is another way that conscience can be violated, and that's by someone who in some way has power over you. Okay? So now we're going to get into another area. So, for example... If you have a parent and this parent violates a particular law or, or moral government, as it were, and you see this parent doing it, because this parent has power over you, you might feel bad about the first couple times that you do it, but you realize this is accepted in our family. This is, what, this is the norm. This is what we do. And then your conscience can become violated because of a cultural or a family or even a government, even a national sin can take place where we become violated, as it were. We call that, and the Bible calls that, oppression. When we are compelled to do a thing that's not to because of either somebody in power or authority over us, now, there are Christians that are dying under oppressive governments because merely they confess Jesus Christ as their Savior around the world today. That's called oppression. That's wrong. That's evil. When society shames good behavior and rewards or applauds evil, that too is oppression. A whole culture can do it. How many of you know for hundreds of years our country enslaved African Americans? I mean, if you've read any kind of history, you understand that. That's called oppression. That was evil and that was wrong. That was evil and that was wrong. So we can receive 
a bent or a twisted or a hurt conscience by our own sin. And sometimes it's by the sin of others at us or toward us. We do not expect a child to stand against their parent. And so this child can be oppressed and not even realize it. They just sort of fit right in with it. They just sort of fit right in with it. Let's turn to our text now and see that Jesus is the ultimate voice of conscience. Matthew chapter 15. Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus and said from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, I want to share something with you because sometimes when you're reading the New Testament, you think, boy, the Jews just really hated Jesus. No, on, on large, the Jews loved Jesus. It was the leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that had problems with Jesus. And let me explain to you why I believe that they had a problem with Jesus. Now, Pharisees and the Sadducees, if you want to put it in a modern context, they could be the liberals and the conservatives, okay? The Pharisees would have been the Bible thumping, I believe I'm conservative, you know, and ah, da, 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 da. That would have been the Pharisees. The Sadducees, oh, we're liberal. No, we, we only believe in certain parts of the Bible and not the whole thing. And we don't believe in any of that spiritual stuff and all that. So, so in other words, Jesus was attacked from the right and the left. <laughs> Why? Because they were leaders. How do we know someone is a leader? I know this is going to sound really deep. Because they have followers. <laughs> We know a person is a leader because they have followers, and that gives them a certain degree of power. Now, all of a sudden, you have Jesus coming on the scene, and he's doing miracles, and people are just adoring him, and he has no political party, as it were. He says he's coming from God, and he's telling people the truth. And this is very disturbing to people who have systems of power because... If this person claims to be speaking for God, how many of you know that's ultimate power? Oh, by the way, a word from our sponsor. <laughs> oh, well, which company? Now, everybody. <laughs> He's the sponsor of everything. He's the one who created it all. And Jesus says, I represent him. And they're thinking, wait a minute. This is threatening our structures this is threatening our government. This is threatening us. What are we going to do if our system breaks down? Well, there is an alternative, and that's we could actually follow God. We could, go to, we could, we could follow the Lord God Almighty who created us. There's a very real sense in the body of Christ, something that we may not understand so much in America, but I think they may understand in other places where Christianity is new. There are no power trips in the kingdom of God because the one almighty, he's the one who holds the power. And we're all called to be servants. <laughs> Remember when the, there was the debate among the followers, the 12 disciples of Jesus? Who's greatest? Who's the greater? And what does Jesus say? He puts a little kid in their midst and says, you become like a kid. He says, do you want to be the leader of all? Become the servant of all. Wait, why? Well, someone's got to be in charge. And Jesus said, somebody's already in charge. And that position isn't up for grabs anymore. 
It's God. God's in charge. And he's eternally in charge. No one else. Wrestling with this. So, the Lord God Almighty. Let's go on. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So he says, there's a tradition that we follow, and we have to go ceremonially through all this washing. Now, what's the big deal about this? Is it because of not washing with clean hands? No, it was a tradition that bound the people to a system that gave those pharisaical leaders power. And Jesus was saying, and why do you break the commands of God to follow your man-made traditions? Did did you ever examine your own belief system in that light? (laughs) What am I doing because somebody told me to do it? And what am I doing in my religion because God told me to do it? That's a good question to ask yourself. What am I doing because the Lord? Now, can there be disagreements? Sure. But ultimately, God is the final authority. Not me, not you, not any counselor or anyone else on this planet. God is the final authority. And he's given us a book that if we will richly dwell within it and read it from cover to cover and meditate on it and understand it, we will grow and we will sensitize our conscience, but I'm jumping ahead of myself, (laughs) okay? He says, you people honor me. Why? Because there's this command in the Bible, honor your father and mother. Now, how many of you know that's one of the big 10? I don't know if you know that or not. That's That's one of the big ones. You know, that's the Ten Commandments. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is how. Have no other God before me. Don't make any idols. Don't take my name in vain. Honor the Sabbath day. And honor your father and mother. Wow. So that's one of the big ones. And Jesus says, you're violating that commandment because you were supposed to take care of your folks when they get aged and they're, they're retiring, and they can no longer take care of themselves. It was the obligation of the children to honor them that way. But they created a loophole. Oh, we've got a missions committee that needs some money. You know, we need to, you know, the, the, the temple's getting a little shabby. We need to get some more gold trim in it. And, you know, there's things we need to do. And so I'm going to dedicate this money, so I'll give this much to this, and then I get this honor of all these people around me. They say, well, look at Dave. He just put that money in there for building the temple, Then This is great. While I'm neglecting my honoring my father and my mother. And Jesus says, God knows that. And we should know that if we have conscience, shouldn't we? But what happens when we buy into a system, when we become oppressed, our own consciousness can be warped. And then we're more interested in getting the approval of people than the approval of God. Because God gave us that conscience that we would live right for him. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, Jesus says. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Jesus knows how to get to the heart of any issue. While we can go around the edges, Jesus goes right to the heart. This is what we ought to be. This is what we ought to be. The Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus Christ using our conscience. 
Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 16. I'm going to be reading in the ESV. The print's a little bigger, so it's easier for me to read. (laughs) 16, John 16, 8 through 11. And when he, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, the comforter who was going to come, he says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus is teaching us, Jesus is showing us, Jesus is telling us the Holy Spirit's going to come. Did you know that Jesus knew that our consciences were seared, that they were warped, that society, culture, our own disobedience was warping us? So he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in this place, but I, have, I had the privilege and the great honor when I became a Christian to be saved during the time of a great revival that was taking place in our land in the mid-1970s. And I'll, the, the thing I'll share with you is that when we were in the gathering, we wanted to worship Jesus for at least an hour. I mean, it's like, man, the, the, why? Because we felt a presence. And to, to share with you how this was very powerful, I'm going to share a couple things with you. One is an agnostic came to a service once, not to join in, but just because he had to be there because he wanted to observe something that ceremonially was taking place. And when he left, even though he was a diehard agnostic, atheistic type person, he said, you know, I felt it too. There was a presence that he felt And he felt this joy, this peace, this love, and he couldn't explain it, but he felt it. Another time when we were going, we were going to this particular meeting. Now, this meeting had grown from about 15 to 20 individuals to about 2,000 in about two to three years. So it was just bursting the seams. This was in Washington, D.C., eventually, where it was moved to so they get a large enough venue to hold the people I am not kidding when I'm telling you this. There were two or three buses. This is in Washington, D.C. There were two or three buses of Mennonite kids coming from Pennsylvania every Tuesday night to go to these meetings. That's how powerful there was a draw. Well, one, one afternoon, this had to be somewhat during the summer because it was still summer. It was still light out, and the meeting started about 7. We didn't get out of it until we were at like 10, 10.30. And... So we're in D.C., northwest D.C., and we're walking. So there's a group of us coming from College Park, University of Maryland, and we're walking there and all this, and there's this guy. He's an older guy. We're all young people. We're college age, and there's this older guy, and he's drunk, and he's on the, he's on the corner of the street smoking a butt, you know, just, uh, yeah. and, you know, he looks us over. We look him over, and we greet him. We say, hey, how you doing? He says, oh, I'm, I'm doing all right, you know. <laughs> And all this, and says, hey, that's great. Hey, would you like to come with us? He says, sure, where are you going? And he says, oh, we're going to church. All of a sudden, it changed the atmosphere. <laughs> he says, what? Uh, he says, and then you could tell there was a little look of sorrow on his face. And he said, you could want an old drunk bum like me going to church. To which we replied, are you kidding? 
Jesus didn't come for the people that were well. He came for the people that were sick. And we were sick too, man. And we're, we just want to go, you know. And two of the, two of the cisterns, <laughs> two of the sisters in the Lord were there. One took one arm and one took the other. And so he has these pretty young girls taking him by the arm. He's gone now. You know, he's going to have to go. <laughs> well, he comes into the service. And during the worship, just during the worship, tears are just streaming down this man's face. The presence of the Holy Spirit's all over him. He's convicting him of sin and righteousness and judgment. The message that was given was on the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth, all you have to do is repent and believe. Just turn from your own way, turn toward him, and you're in. Well, he made a beeline. Now, back then, there were four large rooms that were counseling rooms. One was for salvation. This guy went to the salvation room. On the average, we usually had 20 or 30 people getting saved every week. That night, on the gospel preaching, there was like 80 people that came to the Lord. It was just a wonderful thing. I mean, I know, I know this is going to sound fantastic, but it really was fantastic. But it was really happening. We were seeing it with our own eyes. We saw that man come every week. He was clean. He was straight. No more drinking. I mean, Jesus changed his life. Well, the Bible talks about how Jesus does that. In Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, I'm going to read that to you in verse 13. Something takes place when you're really born again, when you really come to the Lord. I didn't say when you get religion. I'm talking about when you get Jesus, okay? Something really happens. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. For the, if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of bulls and goats, with the ashes of the heifer sacrifices for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? When a person comes to Jesus, they could be weighed down with guilt and shame and all kinds of things. But when they come to Jesus, he says, forgiven. And the weight comes off and the joy of the Lord can come into your heart and your life. And it's just like, wow, this is great. Now, let me share this too. How many of you know that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you can't violate your conscience anymore? How many of you know, just because you're a Christian, you can't be oppressed anymore? Yeah, I, I don't want to really go into detail of it. It's sad what's going on in our country, but yet it's righteous sadness. And that is God is exposing many scandals that were in the evangelical church this last couple of years. As he said he would always do. He's always going to do a shaking, and it will be to shake those things that aren't so that those things that are will remain standing. And so as scandal after scandal is being revealed, this is not a time for rejoicing, but it's not also a time for depression. This is just a time of, God, you're cleaning house. You're cleaning things up. You're not allowing people to get away with things that they used to get away with. There's, as it were, a coming up in this time, and it's good that it's happening on this side of glory. We wouldn't want to wait for it to happen after we die, because then it's too late. It's too late to change when you die. It's too late now. Okay, now I'll accept Jesus. Now I'll follow Jesus. It's too late. It's too late. That day is approaching each of us. We need to be sure that we're ready because only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from the evil and the wrong that's in our conscience. But boy, when he does, he does a good scrubbing. 
He cleans us up good. How many of you know when you've got the joy of the Lord, when you know your sins are forgiven? Man, you, no matter what your background, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're coming from, Jesus can clean you up. Hallelujah. That's a wonderful thing. I mean, I have to laugh because I'm filled with joy over it. That though I was lost, a dead, dead in my sins and transgressions, yet God raised me with Jesus because I just said, Jesus, take over. <laughs> I've made a mess. And he did. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. So our conscience can become cleansed through the gospel. That's the initial process. How many of you know, though, that even as a Christian, I walk in a world just like the disciples before the Last Supper. They walk in a world and their feet get dirty. And I need Jesus to clean my feet sometimes. No, I'm saved. I know I love the Lord, but I, you know, just rubbing shoulders with this world, hearing the words that they say, seeing the deeds they do, sometimes myself slipping on the edge there, thinking, oh, I don't think I should do this, you know. And so what what do we need to do? We need to be cleansed continually. So, of course, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says if we sin, if we confess our sins, if we agree with God, if we say, yes, Lord, you were right, I should not have done that. He said he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only does he forgive us, he's going to begin to empower us so that we don't have to do it anymore. But I want to show you a key here to that, Ephesians chapter 5. So for you Christians out there that think, well, how how do I get the victory over some of these things? How, How can I get a more sensitive conscience? How can I become more aware of what sin is? Because I admit I'm warped. I admit that there's things wrong, that I've been oppressed, that it's whether it's systems, parents, family, churches, whatever, the society that I'm living in, it's been warped. Well, the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 5 and beginning in verse 26. Again, Paul is talking about the family relationship. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he says this. What is Jesus? Jesus loved the church, gave himself up for verse 25, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. How does Jesus clean his church? With the word of God, with the word. As I allow the word of Christ to richly dwell within me, he sensitizes my conscience. Things that I thought were okay a week or two ago aren't okay anymore. Why? Because my conscience, I'm not judging other people where they're at. God is going to deal with them according to where they're at. But according to where I'm at, the way I'm going to grow is get my conscience cleansed by the word of God. Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verse 11. Even though it's written in the new covenant, it's not just there. It's also in the old covenant scriptures. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in your Bible. It's almost in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 119 and verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How many of you know there's a lot of books out there? There's a lot of podcasts and TikToks. And this one's going to solve this. And this one's going to solve this. Well, there's the word of God that's 
we'll do the scrubbing on our consciences, make our conscience sensitive to what God wants, make us know what's right and wrong, live accordingly. I want to close with a word of warning. If anyone in the sound of my voice, if you're a fence sitter, if you haven't really dedicated, committed your life to Jesus Christ, you've not either accepted him as Lord and Savior or you're not pursuing growing in him, you, you think you're sitting on the fence. You're really not sitting on the fence. You're on the wrong side of the fence. <laughs> the enemy of your soul, the devil will deceive you to think, well, you could just think about this a little bit longer. You know, I mean, this is an important decision. You can, and you can keep doing that until the day of destruction when it's too late. And so I want to warn fence sinners. You know, it says in in 2 Corinthians 6, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. One of the ways we frustrate God's grace is by not acting upon when the Holy Spirit shows us something. When the Holy Spirit says, "Mm, I'm putting my finger on this in your life, Dave. Yes, sir. That's what, you know what I like to do when that happens sometimes in sin? Um, What about brother so-and-so over there? You know, I see some stuff in his life that's not so good. Or how about sister so-and-so or or the pastor? You know, they're, you know, God. I mean, well, Jesus said that to Peter when Peter says, what about that guy? He says, what? Boy, who am I talking to? I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to him. I'm talking to you. See, that's the thing about conscience. We can sear it so easily, even as Christians, and we need to say, God, this word is for me. So no more fence sitting. So it's important for believers to sensitize conscience. Believe it or not, this may be hard in the United States of America today to understand this, but there's revival in Christianity right now, but it's just not here. It tends to be more global. There might be little spots of revival in the United States, but in Africa, parts of Asia, South America, things are happening. People are getting saved. But those movements, wherever they may be, will grow or diminish in accordance to whether people's conscience will continue to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit is sensitive Do you know the Bible says that the Holy Spirit can be grieved? We can grieve the Holy Spirit. If I have bad thoughts, bad words, bad deeds in my life, that can grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't think any Christian wants to grieve the Holy Spirit, amen? Oh, Lord, help me not grieve your spirit. Psalm 51, take not thy spirit from me. Oh, God. How many of you know that you can be in a, in a religious state? You could, you could have just been in prayer and you're bathing in the presence of God and you feel the joy of the Lord. And then a word comes out of your mouth or a thought comes into your mind and you sense, I don't feel it anymore. You realize you violated your conscience and you've grieved the Holy Spirit. What's the answer? Confess, acknowledge, repent, trust, and have faith that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for whatever it is that you need. Ultimately, it is my responsibility to respond to God's call for my life. I can't force anybody else to respond, but I can look at this boy and say, 
yep, I've got to do that. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Oh, Father, it's so vital, it's so important that we keep our conscience clear. The Bible says, Father, to Timothy, that the goal of instruction is pure love, but also a good conscience. Help us to have a good conscience, not to violate conscience, Lord, but to have that sense of, wow, my my heart is clear before God. I know that I know I'm right with you, Lord. Help us, Lord, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice, whether here presently or through the internet, who's been struggling with sin, that they will take it to Jesus. They will say, oh, Lord, please help me. Please help me. I want to really know you. I really want to love you. I want to have a clear conscience. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.